0: Uh, that song that you guys walked into, uh, Nothing Else Matters, so it's a kind of an interesting song. It was one of Metallica's first hits, um, and actually the introduction, which has become like a famous part. When you hear that introduction, you know what song is coming. That song was written that uh, he was sitting on the phone with his girlfriend, and he had his guitar in one hand, and he had a phone in the other hand, and he just started kind of strumming that with one hand, and all of his bandmates heard it and was like, man, that has to be the song that we do. And, and ultimately, the song at first was about this relationship with this person, but then that kind of faded. And, and so eventually, the band kind of adapted this new idea behind the song that it's about this idea of taking what matters most and being vulnerable with it and realizing what matters most in your life and not being afraid of it, being open to it, even if that puts you at potential risk of heartache And other risks that may come with that. Essentially, nothing else matters. And so if nothing else matters, the question is, well, then what matters the most? What are you willing to do to keep it front and center once you figure that out? So here's my question for you as we kind of think about that song and kind of the meaning behind it. All of us in this room, and maybe you subconsciously and maybe you've never actually asked this question, we all have one thing. Or maybe it's a couple things, but we all have one thing or a couple things that's most important to us. Last week we talked about seasons with the song Landslide. Maybe for some of us, when we think about what's most important to us, it's not just our whole life, but maybe it's just like right now. What's most important to you in this season of life? Now the problem is whenever we find things that are really important in our life or the things that matter the most, inevitably there's always something that's going to come along and try to pull us away from that. So for example, and I don't know about you and maybe I'm the only one, but I have a feeling I'm not, I get very easily distracted. Okay, and some of you are like, Yeah, we've been watching you. We know. Okay, Uh, I get easily distracted. In fact, a few years ago, we were dealing with some issues with our our daughter, and so we were taking to the doctor and talking to some people, and and they started talking about ADHD and ADD and all this stuff. And, And so we're going through all of the symptoms one day with the doctor on the phone, and she's telling us all of these things. And I'm like, I have all of those things. And my wife is like, yeah, you do. Yeah. And so uh, I get easily distracted. Uh, and, and maybe you can relate to this. And, and so I get distracted in life. I get distracted in things. I fidget all the time. Uh, if something happens in this service, I've gotten to the point where I try to ignore it. But if your cell phone goes off, I know. OK, it's like it's all I can think about. And so like I know I get distracted. I got to keep myself centered. Um, but what I've found about distraction is not only do we get distracted in the little things, and the immediate things. But for a lot of us, we get distracted in the big things, right? We have things, we have goals, we have areas of growth that we're trying to work towards, we're trying to do this, and we always get distracted, Now, what happens with distraction is not always bad. Sometimes it's okay things. Sometimes it might even be good things later on down the road. Um, But the thing about distractions when it comes to the big things in life is when we lose focus of where we're trying to go, what we're trying to accomplish, what we think God's trying to accomplish with us, um, the thing is, is that sometimes it's a really big deal because it takes us off of where we need to go. It takes us off the thing that we need to work on. And like I said, sometimes we get distracted and it's not a big deal. But then sometimes, and some of you guys relate to this, we get distracted in life, we kind of go down a path, we kind of go down a trail, and we wake up five years down the road, ten years down the road, and we go, how did we end up here? How, How did I get here? Some of us, we ask the question of, how did I make such a mess of my life? How did we even get to this place? I never remember choosing directly, like, that's where I was going, but ultimately it comes back to distractions. And when we get distracted too much, it can change the image of the future that we have for ourselves. And so as we talk about this today, think about not only what you think is the most important thing in your life or important things in your life, but maybe even in this season of life, what is the most important thing to you? What matters the most? What matters to us most right now? Distractions will always pull us away from what we want to accomplish And so sometimes we have to stay hyper-focused. We have to keep reminding ourselves of what's most important. Now today, to illustrate that, I'm going to tell you and walk through an Old Testament story. It's one of the most fascinating stories, and we're going to talk about one line. In fact, there's not even going to be a lot of slides up today because I don't want to distract you from this one statement that comes out of this story. And it's a reminder to all of us if we kind of see through our story and see ourselves in this story, but also when we get to this line of where we are and what we need to keep front and center. Now, the story comes out of the book of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah, he's a Jewish exile. Maybe you've never even heard that name in the Bible, but it's kind of this fascinating story, and essentially, he's a Jewish exile, and he's living in, uh, under the reign of, of Artaxerxes in Persia. Now, Artaxerxes, you may not have known much about him, but you've probably heard about his dad, whose name was Xerxes, so maybe you've never heard of that. Think the movie 300. Remember that movie? Okay. That's Xerxes. This is his son. Now, now one of the things, a little context to understand the significance of this story, when you don't understand Jewish history, um, essentially at this point, for about 300 years, the Jewish people in Judea, they have been a vassal state of different regions. They have lost their their independence. So about 300 years before this story takes place, um, it starts with the Assyrians. The Assyrians come in and they conquered that region of the world and and they ruled and so there's this exile period and there's this period where where the Jewish people the Israelites they're not on their own they have to follow whatever the Assyrians Do. Well, essentially, as happens in history, the Assyrians eventually get captured by the Babylonians and they come along and they capture the Assyrians, and so now, because they were under the rule of the Assyrians, now they're under the rule of the Babylonians. And then there's this famous story that we'll talk about we've talked about before, but essentially the the Babylonians they go to them and say, Okay, we're gonna allow you to kind of have some independence. You're still under us, but you can kind of like do your thing. And the king at the time gets a little uppity thinking, Oh, we don't have to let anybody tell us what to do. is going to tell us what to do. And so the Babylonians, they don't take well to this. And so they go in and they not only take over the city, but they conquer the city. They destroy the temple, they destroy the walls, they destroy the gate, and the city of Jerusalem is left a wreck. And so the people leave there because it's not safe anymore. And just like happens in history, eventually there's another ruler that comes along, and this time it's the Persians. And the Persians, they rule a lot of the known world. And, and so when they take over Babylon, they essentially also take over Israel. Now, the, the Persians, if you remember, if you remember the movie 300, it's actually fairly accurate. Xerxes' kind of rule was this. You can go and be free people. You can live your culture. You can live your society as long as you always acknowledge that you're under the reign of Persia and you're under the reign of us as the Persians. And so Cyrus the Great, who was actually the one that conquered Babylon a few hundred years before this, he put this practice into place. And he essentially says to the Jews living in Babylon, hey, if you want to go home and kind of reestablish what, what you do and who you are and your nation and even your religion, you're welcome to leave. You're welcome to do this. Just always remember that you're, at the end of the day, you're under our reign and rule. And so what happens is several thousand Jewish people, they, they leave Babylon and they go back to Jerusalem because they want to try to rebuild it and kind of reclaim their heritage. And so they go home. The problem is when they go home, because of what the Babylonians had done to the city, the city is in ruins. The, the temple has been destroyed. was essentially their identity. The gates were down, the walls, there was huge holes in it. And so people could come in and do whatever they wanted. And so it was in disarray. And because of that, a lot of the Jewish people chose to stay in Babylon under the Persian rule. And so now you have a nation of people that's completely divided. Some people stayed, some people left. And so they get back to their home, and for about 100 years, there's several groups of people that come and try to rebuild Jerusalem, but it's just not going well. They don't have the full weight of all their people. They don't have all the resources. And while they're doing all of this, several different groups and regions of people come in and kind of take over and rule them and cause terror and heartache for the people. And so this goes on for about 90 years. So that's a long time. So there's this guy named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah and his family, they never left Babylon because they decided there was a better life for them in this region than to go back to Jerusalem, which has been destroyed. So consequently, over time, they, they, they become kind of identified in this Persian culture. And even though they're Jewish, they kind of, kind of get brought up within the system. And, and through a series of connections and circumstances, Nehemiah becomes the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes of Persia. If you know what a cupbearer is, essentially uh, they drank a lot of wine back then because the water wasn't good to drink, so they drank wine. It was one of their main uh, ways to to get the, the um, water they needed into their bodies, which you're like, sign me up for that. That sounds awesome. But um, So that's how they did this. But the cupbearer was the person that, that many times within these areas you would have bad wine, but more importantly, because you had different people wanting to rule and different enemies, they would often poison the wine and try to kill people. So your cupbearer would bring the wine to the king, but one of their goals also was to to drink the wine and if they lived and didn't die then the wine was good to drink so it's kind of this interesting job but nehemiah becomes this but what also is important is this he gets daily access to the king king artaxerxes now you don't know again much about artaxerxes but if you remember the movie 300 you remember xerxes from that movie if you watched it he was larger than life and so was his son i mean this is a big deal to have direct access to maybe the most powerful man in the world so eventually, over some time, Nehemiah's some of his family had gone back to Jerusalem. And so they go back, and his brother eventually comes back to see his brother Nehemiah. And when he's there, Nehemiah just asks a simple question. He's like, hey, how are things going back home in Jerusalem? And his brother's like, well, things aren't going well. He's like, it's, it's worse than we imagine, and there's these people that keep coming in, and every time we build something, they tear it down, and every time we make progress, somebody comes in and ruins it. And so this makes Nehemiah very sad. Because even though he's made a life for himself in Persia, at his heart, he, he still believes in Jerusalem and his heritage and, and what it is. And, and so he has this moment where the Bible actually says that he's like sad in his heart and, and he hears these words and he starts to weep for his people and for the city. And so Nehemiah is many miles away and his heart is broken. And, and one afternoon, because he can't get this out of his head, like it, it, once he hears this, it becomes like his thing. It becomes what matters most to him, is that he wants to see the city rebuilt. He wants to see Jerusalem rebuilt. He wants to see the temple rebuilt. He, he wants to see these people, these proud people, his people, come back to a place of prominence, come back to a place of pride, and more importantly, come back to a place of worshiping God. And so one day he goes into Artaxerxes and he's taking him his wine and he gets this, this moment and he, he kind of looks at him and he says, hey, I got a question to ask. And he says, you know, you've heard about Jerusalem. And he's like, yeah. And he goes, well, the city is it's in disarray and the walls have been torn down and the temple is really important to my people and it's been destroyed. And he eventually gets to the point where he turns to the king, the most powerful man in the world. And he's like, could I have some like time off, you know, like a lot of time off? And this is a bold request. I mean, Artaxerxes could have been like, no, you idiot. Go to the dungeon. That's where you live now. He could have been like, you know, I mean, he could have done all kinds of things. But because Nehemiah is a good leader, because he's a man of integrity, because he's a man that served the king well, he says, you can go. In fact, I'm going to make you the governor of that region." You're going to be the person that, that kind of represents me as you go back into this region. And, and here's the thing, Nehemiah, because you served me well because of your loyalty, here, I'm actually going to give you some resources that you need to go back and resurrect the city and help the people there. So Nehemiah kind of puts this caravan of equipment and people together and he goes back to the city. He goes back. Now, you got to remember, it's been a long time since he's been there. In fact, more than likely, he's probably never been, been to Jerusalem because he's been raised in Babylon and under the Persians. And when he gets there, it's worse than he could have imagined. It's terrible. The people are depressed economically. Things are bad. There's all of these outside forces from around there that keep coming in and conquering and taking over and and enslaving the people in some ways and taking what they have. I mean, everything's bad. There's no military. There's no wall. Um, There's holes in the wall. There's no gate. And this is a big deal if there's no gate because people can just like walk right in. And there's no sense of security. And so there's this moment where he's seeing all this and his heart breaks even more. And it even becomes more like, this is the thing I got to do. Like this thing is a complete mess. And so he starts to cast this incredible vision. And he assigns every family a place to work on the wall. He says, hey, listen, guys, there's a lot of distraction happening. So here's what's going to happen. This is not only my number one priority. This is our number one priority. This is what we're doing. This is what we're going to accomplish. This is the goal at the end of the day. And so he starts to assign families places on the wall to work, and he starts to assign people places on the wall, and and he starts to get things done. But the problem is as he starts to rebuild the wall, and specifically starts to rebuild the gate. The surrounding people start to notice it. And here's what you have to understand. It doesn't make sense to us, but a walled city and a walled city with a gate is a military threat because now it's a stronghold. So all of these people that have been kind of taking advantage of the Israelites, they don't like this. And so they begin to intimidate the workers and they begin to attack the workers and they begin to attack the families of the workers who are kind of working on this area. And Nehemiah is like, okay, this isn't going well. So he puts everything to a stop. He stops everything. He brings everybody in the city and he says, all right, new plan. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to arm some of you. And when somebody's working, you're actually going to protect them. And then when they get done with their shift, you're going to hand them your weapons and they're going to protect you. And it kind of became this system of them protecting and doing all of these things. But during all of this, the work never stops. And so enter the bad guy. His name is Ballot, which is a terrible name, all right? And, and his name is Sam Ballot, And, and Sam Ballot starts to realize that the walls are starting to come back up, the gates starting to be rebuilt. And he doesn't like this because he's one of the main guys that have been taking advantage of the weak city. He and his buddies were kind of in power. And, and so they're starting to see like there's not only that the walls being rebuilt and the gates being rebuilt, but the people all of a sudden are starting to have some pride in themselves again. They're starting to get some confidence again. And he knows that Nehemiah is the guy behind this. And he knows that Nehemiah seems to be a guy that's going to get the job done. Now, all of that to tell you what happens next. In Nehemiah chapter 6, Samballot, he sends a message to him. And he's like, hey, Nehemiah, let's get together for some coffee. Let's go to Panera Bread. Let's, you know, let's, let's get together. Let's chat about this, you know, like you're an important guy. I'm an important guy. You know, we've kind of been at odds, and we've been kind of going back and forth. But things haven't been going well, so let's get together, and let's just kind of talk through this. We're going to have a chat. Now, what we secretly find out is that what they want to do is to get Nehemiah away from the people and they want to kill him because this guy has become a threat to them. And so they kind of send this this message to him, like, hey, let's get together and let's just talk. And what Nehemiah responds with is the statement that if you and I could put it front and center in our life and the things that matter most, it could change the course of a lot of our directions because it would be this thing that we remind ourselves of over and over again. But before we get there, see, what you have to know about me that I already know about you is that every family, every couple, every individual is tempted at some point to trade in the immediate for the ultimate. We're all tempted at some point. Listen, we all give in to the distractions, me included. We're given to the distractions that come along and pull us from what we value most, from what's most important, from what we need to accomplish. We all do it. So, so Nehemiah, he, he's got this proposal. Hey, come and, and, and meet with us. Now, there's an interesting detail of the story th- that I love, and, and you'll appreciate this too, is Nehemiah, he, he's this powerful person. He's kind of been given by one of the most powerful men in the world, this governorship of this area. And so he's an extension of our exerces to this area, but, but he doesn't let that go to his head. So when he assigns everybody a job, he also assigns himself a job. He's a great leader. In fact, the book of Nehemiah is a great lesson, all leadership. And here's what he says. And this is one of the leadership principles that I've applied to my life. I'm not going to ask somebody to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. And so he's literally this powerful man, this man leading this vision. He's literally on top of the wall working on the gate with all of the people. He's doing the same job that he's asked them to do. And so Sam Ballot's messengers sewed up, and, and he, he's actually literally physically up on the wall when they approach him. And they approach him and, and they yell up to him, Hey, ne- Nehemiah, Sam Ballot wants to meet with you. He, he wants to have this meeting to talk through some things. And so Nehemiah has to respond to this. What's he going to do? Because here's what this is this is a distraction. And he has been given a task. He has something that's most important to him in his life right now. And so he thinks about it, probably not very long. And here's his response to them. Here's his response to the distraction. Here's his response to the thing that wants to pull away from what he believes that God is wanting him to do. You ready? Here it is. Nehemiah 6.3. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I can't. What I'm doing is too important. I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. I don't have time for this. This distraction is not going to work. It is not going to pull me away from what matters most. So, ready? What's most important? What is most important to you right now? What is the thing that God has put on your heart and in your mind? What is the most important thing to you right now? What is the thing that God is calling you to do? And then ask yourself, are there any distractions that are coming along and trying to distract me and pull me away from this important And I love uh, the way that he ends it. It's not going to come up on the screen. But but he says, why would I come down to you? And that's the question. When distractions come up and you have them and they're all going to come up, here's the question. Why? Why would I stop doing what's most important to do something that's only going to, in his case, harm him? And maybe for you, it would harm you. And and I love the optics of this because remember when they walk up to him, he's physically, literally on top of the wall at the top of the gate. And he's looking down at them and he says, why should I come down to you? I'm up here. Why would I come down to you? Why would I lower myself to do something of lower importance to appease you? And that's a great question, isn't it? If you have something that's most important in your life, and, and you're doing it, and, and you're killing it, and you're doing well, and it's this God, this task that God has given you, why in the world would you come down to that level? Why would you allow that distraction to take over? And, and so he goes. He tells the messengers. He's like, "Tell Sam about that. Tell him I don't. I don't have time. I can't come down." And so the messengers, they go back and, and, and they go back and they tell Sam Ballot and the leaders, they say, "Hey, he's, he's, he's not coming." He says "No." And these guys are relentless. So, so they don't just go once. They don't just go twice. They don't just go three times. They go four times. Four times they go back to the city and they go to Nehemiah and they look up at him and they say, hey, we need to meet. Listen, Sam Sanballat says we need to meet, you know, and and they're like, hey, you know, so what about like next Thursday? Does next Thursday work? No. What about two Thursdays from now? What about next weekend? You know, you tell us when it works for you because we got to have this meeting. But here's the thing that you have to realize about you and about me and about what Nehemiah understood about this distraction. All right. This was not a scheduling conflict. This this, this was not a conflict cuz he couldn't find time on his calendar. And this is important for some of you today. It wasn't a scheduling issue. It was a priority issue. He has something that's too important for this distraction to be able to pull away from. This was about priority and are you ready and we've talked about this before and i have to remind myself of it all of the time nehemiah had predecided what was most important and there was not going to be anything that could come along and distract him from that he had said yes to something and by default he was saying no to other things See, we don't realize that. You don't realize when you say yes to something, by default, you have to say no to other things, right? When I commit myself to something, that means by default, I'm saying no to this. When you chose, and it was a choice, may not have felt like it to some of you, when you chose to get married, remember that? You were saying yes to something, which means now you're having to say no to something else. When you had that child and you said yes, let's do this, or you adopted or you brought that child into your home, when you said yes, by default, you were saying no to other things. Nehemiah understood this. Nehemiah understood that there's a parallel there. Now, here's the thing. If Nehemiah had said yes to to this distraction, it would have caused him immediate physical harm. Maybe your distraction isn't that extreme. I get it. But there are certain pastimes, if you continue to say yes to... There are certain hobbies that if you continue to say yes to, there are certain types of relationships that if you continue to say yes to, it will distract you and it will pull away from what you say you value most. So let's get real practical. Parents, when you look at those kids— whether they're little kids and you tuck them in at night or they're those middle school kids or those teenagers or whatever they are, when you look at those kids, you need to remind yourself, I am doing a good work and I cannot come down. This is most important. This is the priority. I am doing important work and I cannot be distracted. Husbands, when you look at your kids and you look at your family, and you look at your wife, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Wives, when you look at your husband, you need to say, man, he's a piece of work, right? No. <laughs> you say, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Single people, so I don't want to leave you out. Let me ask you a question. What is the most direct route to your preferred future? It's a route when you choose ahead of time who you're becoming. You see, sometimes what happens, and I know there's not a lot of us, but for a lot of times when we're single, and I did the same thing, we're looking for the right person. Now, that's the wrong way. You become the right person. Then you'll find the right person. Because you are doing a great work, and you cannot come down. Now, for those of us that have claimed to be Christians, that we have committed our life to Christ, it becomes by default, when we say yes to one thing, we're saying no to other things. It becomes the most important part of who we are, and we have to remind ourselves, because there's lots of distractions, that I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. So don't get distracted. Because you are, even though you realize, don't realize it, you are doing a great work. Because you are writing the story of your life. And you're writing it one choice and one decision and one page at a time. Every decision you make and every time you prioritize correctly, you are writing a story that you want to tell. Do you, do you know one of the things, and I know we all have past, I have a past too. But do you know one of the saddest things And when I see people writing stories parts of their story because of choices that they've made it's, listen they'll tell me I'll be a man you're not going to want to tell that story one day and so remind yourself that you're writing a story so what happens next is Nehemiah's enemies they're relentless because you know and you know this distractions are relentless enemies are relentless aren't they And he's told them, look, I'm not giving up, we're not meeting, I'm not coming down, I'm not coming down to your level, I'm not going to do this. And so they get really desperate, and so what they try to do is start rumors about Nehemiah. You ever had anybody that can't control you anymore, and so they start rumors about you? They start stories, because they realize, that listen, they're not going to come down to my level. And so they start these rumors that the reason Nehemiah is actually fixing up the city is because he wants to reestablish Israel as a superpower and, and eventually that what he wants to do is build this wall and build these gates and then he wants to take on Xerxes Artaxerxes himself, which is not true because Nehemiah knows, I am not winning that battle, right? And so they start all of these rumors and they start to criticize him. One of the most important things that I've learned in the last 10 years is that when people realize they can't control you, when they can't bend you down to their level, and when they can't bring you down to their level, they criticize. And criticism is a great distraction. And so Nehemiah is like, I don't have time for that. I don't. Because I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. And you know what Nehemiah does? He ignores it. He doesn't get on the comment section and reply. He doesn't snapshot it and send it to a friend. No, he just ignores it. He's just like, I don't have time for these idiots anymore. And so what happens? Verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th of a loom in 52 days. Listen, for 190 years, people have been trying to do this. And he does it in 52 days. Here's the next part. When all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence. Everybody that thought they could attack, everybody that thought they could do it, all of the distractions, because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. And so here's a guy who gets hyper-focused on what's most important, and when he accomplishes it, all the critics, all the sand ballots, all the enemies, all of the distractions, they can't do anything because he refused to give up. Now, do you know why I love this story? One of the most important reasons I love this story. And I hope you hear what I'm about to say. Um, One of the coolest things about this story specifically in the book of Nehemiah is this. There are no miracles. God never steps into this story in some supernatural way. Because, see, I think what happens for a lot of us, I I do this from time to time, is I'll read the Bible and we feel like we can't relate to these people. We can't do what they did because, of course, they had angels and God came in and there were tablets and floods and all of these things that, that God just stepped in and this miraculous thing happened and this super, you know, natural thing. Not once does that take place in this story. This is about a guy who realizes what's most important to him, what God has laid on his heart. And he refuses to be distracted. It's about good leadership. It's about accountability. It's about a man's heart who knew the right thing and just did it. This was a job that he must complete because it's very important. And he believed the whole time this is what God is calling him to. To do. And so, parents, there may not be a miracle, and God may not step in in some new supernatural way, but you are doing a great work. And if you are willing to put your heart and your time and your effort and your energy into it, parents, husbands, wives, here's the question What is your wall? What is the thing that you dare not come down from until the work is done? Let me ask a better question. What obstacles do you need to remove? What are the distractions? What are the things that you need to say no to because you've already said yes to something else? And here's a tough one. Nobody likes this one. Who do you need to eliminate? Not literally, don't kill anybody. (laughs) But who do you need to eliminate off your schedule because they're a distraction. Who is keeping you from becoming who or what you want to be? We build our lives decision by decision. We build the wall decision by decision. We restore, we do the great work that God has called us to decision by decision and you dare not get distracted And here's the part that you need to realize. For most of us, not all of us, but for most of us, somebody else is depending on you to stay focused on the great work, aren't they? So what's your wall? What's most important? You are doing a great work. I am doing a great work. So don't come down. What matters most What is the thing at the end of the day that you would say, this is what I want to accomplish, because in comparison, nothing else matters? Let's pray.